Thank you, JJ, for that introduction. And I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world. Never, ever give up hope is now in over 120 different countries. And it's absolutely thrilling to know that our audience has grown that much in such a short period of time. The message of hope is one that needs and wants to be heard. Doesn't matter what our backgrounds are, any place in the world, people need to hear the message of hope. And my guests all have that message. Each one of them has a unique story of where they have been, what they have gone through, and have been able to become successful in whatever they have decided that they really wanted to do. And that is so appreciated that they want to share their story of success coming from a place of hopelessness to a place of hope. With me today is a woman by the name of S.T. Wilkinson. She is going to be one to encourage you and definitely to inspire you with her story. One question that she asked on her website and I ask you is, what happens when you lose it all? Because some of you out there have, just as S.T. has. She lost her health, her job, her social network, her abilities, her stability, her joy, and even her income. But do you quit? Do you give up? Or do you keep going? The age-old question. S.T. Wilkinson chose to keep going. And she's going to share that journey with us today. She is an author an international speaker, a facilitator for systemic coaching, and she is a breakthrough strategist who lost everything after a debilitating car crash. She picked herself up, began a new career, and then her life partner became abusive, not being able to handle the transition. So nothing like getting up off devastating experience and then walking into another one. She had to flee for her life. She had to leave her country and everything that she had. But you know what? Her story doesn't end there. And this is the motivating and the exciting part that she is going to share with you today. I know that many of you will be able to relate with her story and also to applaud her for what she has accomplished in spite of it. So prepare yourself now to be inspired as we listen to ST's story. Welcome, ST. Hello, Carol. So glad to have you here today. And you are talking to us from Malaysia. Yes, I am. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm very excited about that. Thank you, ST. And I'm excited to hear what you are going to share with us. (laughs) So let's start with what you were doing before the accident like were you a stay-at-home mom did you have a business did you have a career tell us about your life prior to the accident a little bit well before the accident happened I was a high flyer I was in university and just finished my studies I already had my first job assignment I was dancing every day I did a lot of different sports Uh, I do have a sports teacher degree as well And I was very, very actively involved in arts and culture. 
and um, I hadn't even finished my first year yet when the accident happened. So I was six months in my job and I was working while I was doing my final exams at university, which is a huge exception because normally you can't do that. So I had a special permit from the Ministry of Education to do that. And I was constantly busy, active, buzzing, um, name it. Whatever I could do, I was doing. I did seven things at the same time. <laughs> You're a typical woman, right? Well, yes, I guess so. <laughs> so tell us what happened. Tell us about the accident. Well, it was a really silly thing, actually, because one morning I was driving to work and it was slightly icy streets. So it wasn't winter yet, but the, the weather was cold. It was around zero degrees. So the streets were frozen. And what happened was, was I couldn't foresee what would happen. Mm -hmm. I was standing in front of a pedestrian zone waiting until the people crossed the street. So I wasn't even driving. And then out of nowhere, a huge car just jammed into me from the back. My car was trashed. I mean, it couldn't be repaired or anything anymore. And I walked out of that car apparently unscathed because you couldn't see anything. I wasn't bleeding or anything. But at the time, that was uh, nearly 20, it was over 20 years ago, actually. People were not that much aware of the consequences mm. of nerve of brain concussions, mm. of all these kind of things. So when I then went to the doctor, they told me um, basically not to be such a wimp, gave me a neck brace and sent me back to work. So that was the whole treatment I got in the beginning. And then the pain got worse and worse and worse. And it was just excruciating. And doctor appointments didn't help because they did x-ray scans. They couldn't see any damage visible because it was soft tissue damage, right? And nerve damage. And you can't see that on an x-ray. So they then uh, just tried to dismiss me as, as someone who makes this up and right. kind of faking it. And mm -hmm. that was the worst part. That was the absolute worst part. I was in so much pain and... I wasn't taken seriously at all. Did they yeah. ever determine what was actually wrong with you? Like, did you have brain damage or? Well, they did determine. I mean, the examinations were done by the insurer. And of course, they had zero interest to mm -hmm, actually mm -hmm. happened. So for many, many years, I lived with the stigma of simulating, not really having a problem, because physically you can't see anything. It's not like I have a broken leg and it's in a cast and you walk around and everyone feels sorry for you. It's just invisible. You feel tired, you have tremendous pain, you have light sensitivity, noise sensitivity. Um, I couldn't carry anything anymore. So I basically lived the life of a very old woman at the age of 27. So what did you do then when you when you quit your job and you're in extreme pain? How did you manage? Well, I didn't acknowledge it because I was such an overachiever. I was such a will-driven person, still am, that I just didn't acknowledge it. A doctor told me after the accident, I'll just have to accept it for life. I'll be basically a vegetable lying on the couch and barely being able to do anything. And I said... I didn't do my studies and 
have all this knowledge and speak so many different languages just to now be condemned to be sitting somewhere and not being able to do anything anymore. I just did not accept it. I couldn't. I think in the end, that is what helped me. Of course, it helped me long term not to give up, but it didn't help my condition. So whenever I felt a little bit better, I started doing all the things again. So this went on and helped. So, and after the accident, my life basically stopped. I could not do anything anymore, but lying in a dark room and just trying to deal somehow with this pain. And despite pain medication, it didn't help much. I was consumed by pain every day. And I do know people today who have different conditions. If you are in a situation like that, it just eats you up alive. It eats you entirely, your soul, your spirit, everything that makes you, you. So in the end, you're naked to the bone, all your diplomas, uh, your social constructs, your relationships, everything is falling apart because you just can't function anymore. So how did you end up when the man became abusive to you? Well, I had, um, after, the re- after the accident that happened, that relationship fell apart because his life continued and mine stopped completely. And I didn't want to be a burden. I, I think that happens a lot when people have accidents like that or things happening what happened after that was I met someone and he was very kind very caring and he actually was there in the first few weeks uh, interested in helping and taking care and I was so grateful now a lot of people might relate to that if you don't have the experience of people taking care of you and the experience of people being nice to you and someone comes along who gives you a little bit of that, just mm-hmm, a little bit. That's right. You fall into the trap, mm-hmm. right? I just had the accident. I was on every level destroyed. And the power balance in the relationship was very clear. He could be the helper and I was the victim, right? So what then happened after that was we, we, we decided to stay together and we founded a family. And my insurance went crazy because they were saying, in my condition, I shouldn't have children and whatever else. And I was so mad because I said, I do not allow anyone to tell me how I have to live my life. Of course. If I'm going to wait to have children until I don't have pain anymore and they tell me I will have that for life, I will never have a family. So I'm having pain anyways. The experience of the pregnancy or pregnancies, because I had two children eventually, was a positive one. And it was really interesting because when you're pregnant, there's a hormone that loosens things up in the body. Uh So it can expand and grow. And that was like a natural remedy or painkiller for me, which lowered the pain tremendously. I felt much better during my pregnancies than actually when I wasn't, her brother came along. If you don't fit in, don't worry about it because <laughs> I never fit it in. Never. I was in the art school two weeks after birth of my son, <laughs> sitting there with my baby on my arms, listening to the lectures. And I was the only person in the entire school of over 500 people. And imagine at the time I was 29, I wasn't that young anymore. Uh-huh who had children, Cloud, and I had to get down to business with my kids. I had to make life work, you know, so I couldn't be in this 
airy thinking of, oh, I'll become a famous artist and I'm going to make it big. And no, I had to get down to business. So what I was doing then at the same time, while I had the children, while I was in art school, was a course in art management. And that art management of art and business and finance and all the other things that were lacking in that education. And then I started having my own art agency. And the funny thing was, everyone was making fun of me. They said, yeah, 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 you're going to try that and you're going to fail and it's never going to work and too much is talking or speaking against you because I had children that were small. I had a relationship that was bad. I had a really bad health at the time. And I just knew this is my only way out. So you didn't give up, obviously. I couldn't. The main reason to buckle up were my children, honestly. Yes, yes. I would not have done these efforts, I think, just for myself. Because it, that's the mother's heart. And you, you were you. motivated by, was, by your yeah. children, absolutely. Yeah. So now you, you come to a place then where you had to flee the country. Tell us what happened there. Well, the relationship completely deteriorated because I started the art agency, I started meeting people, I started to become active, I met artists, I went to galleries, I talked to museums directors, and suddenly I wasn't the victim anymore. Suddenly I became someone who had a network again. Because remember, before when we met, I had nothing. Yes. Literally nothing. I was like alone on an island of pain. And I kind of swam back to the shore, <laughs> dusted myself off, although I had pain for over 20 years, right? But you learn kind of how to live with it. How to manage so it, I dusted right. myself off and started doing things. And I started doing business and I started becoming independent and, and being in charge of everything else as well, despite everything that was going on. And... I mean, the person had already problems before we met, but okay. I, I didn't know about that. I, I had no idea. I was too consumed in my own stuff going on to even realize. And my whole environment, my parents, my family, they didn't realize or say anything either. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, um, it started to turn bad when I was pregnant with my first baby. And... In his case, this, this whole experience became just way too overwhelming. It became more and more out of control. I had the police in my house four times. They said as long as nothing serious has happened, they can't do anything. I went to um, public institutions and those for help. They said we can't do anything because nothing happened. Right. You're still alive. 20 years ago, you had zero protection. Basically, you didn't see a way out other than to leave. I tried everything. We did mediation, which I paid. Um, We had different people interacting. He went to a psychiatrist who put him under medication and treatment, and it just got worse and worse. It spiraled out of control, and I said, I'm not going to wait until I'm on the ground with my kids. So what happened then is I, I moved. I moved house, and it was hidden. Uh, No one knew that I will move. Uh I just was gone one day and nobody knew where. I was still in the same city, but I was somewhere else. Right. And I had zero support from my neighbors because I think many people can relate to that who are in a similar situation. On the outside, everything looked perfect. Yes. Charming, caring, 
loving. And you hear that story very often. They don't understand what happened because everything seemed to be fine. And obviously mm. it isn't. So now you have decided to leave. You're, you're leaving the country. You've, you're leaving him. And mm. you have to start over. So how did you manage that? I was highly educated. I had academic studies. I was a secondary school teacher. And I always said, if I would ever be in a situation like this, it would never happen to me. And it did happen. And why did it happen? Because the first time when, when, when this went on, physical violence, the very first time I kicked him out of the house, instantly, I said, out. I had one baby, I was pregnant with the second one, and I had no idea how to survive, what to do, how to even manage it, but I just said, out. And what then happened was that the whole neighborhood, my family, his friends, everyone came to me and talked to me and said, you can't leave him in this situation, you have to go back. And, and so no one, literally no one was uh, listening. Again. How did you handle that emotionally? Did you feel pretty much alone? Did you, were you angry? Were you sad? Like what was going through and how did you think you were going to get out of it because obviously as you said you're a driven person this is not where you want it to stay in this emotional jail this emotional prison so how did you manage to get out of that did you have to just motivate yourself well what helped me a lot and I remember that now remember that's 20 years ago nowadays uh, it's all the craze and the wave to do meditation and yoga and all these things at the time, barely anyone knew about it in Switzerland. And I was consumed by fear every day. I was absolutely consumed by fear before I went to sleep. I was consumed by fear when I woke up in the morning. And I knew I cannot function like this. I couldn't sleep. And I started doing meditation at 4 o'clock in the morning instead of not sleeping, being worried and completely crazy, uh, going, going uh, sick with worry, I just lay down on the floor and focused on my breathing. I started to become very focused on getting through the day every day. If you're in a situation like that, don't think to the future. You go crazy. You just have to make it for the next minute. One you moment at a time. Yes, one day at a time. Uh -huh. Although the days back then seemed endless. I remember pulling off the papers from the calendar and thinking, when is this year going to be over? When is this year going to be over? And uh, so then what happened was um, the, the father of the children got removed uh, from the apartment by a court order. He got a restraining order and he wasn't following it at all. And I couldn't do anything to enforce it because there was no support. That's why in the end I moved. I moved out. And we were for 10 months in a really, really beautiful environment. My father paid the apartment at the time. I had no more resources whatsoever. I had no health. <laughs> I had my children. I had my agency that I was building up. And we lived for 10 months in that apartment hidden. Hidden means I didn't go to places I used to go before. I didn't meet people I used to meet before just to stay safe. 
And after that, I realized I cannot live like this. I can't live like this. Anywhere else is going to be better than what I'm experiencing here right now. And that's when I took the decision, I have to find a place where my children can grow up in peace and in quiet and silence and be happy and blossom and grow and become wholesome, healthy people, right? So you left. I did leave, yes. I went on a holiday that year for the first time in five years. And when I went there, I, for the first time, I could play with my children. I could actually ride a bike. I could walk with them at the beach. I could move around normally. And I said, okay, that's it. And maybe it was not a rational decision. And we packed up. I left with two children with three suitcases and a box of toys. And everything else was left behind in Switzerland. And we literally went to the other side of the planet. And at the time, it was on an island. It wasn't here where I'm now. And we stayed there for two years, healing and, and just recovering in that sense. And were you at this time planning your future, like realizing that you have a lot to offer considering what you've been through and oh no 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 no, no. <laughs> you weren't there that okay after two times being totally destroyed um you have zero self-esteem okay. none really you feel absolutely i would say worthless it's not about being worthless but i don't even know how to describe that feeling how did you get out of that rut how did you get out of that hole of despair and feeling worthless it took quite a while. So the message um, is you can heal is what you're saying. Obviously, you have. You can heal. You can. But it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. And it's not something that will make everything okay. You will just learn how to deal with situations differently and accept certain things the way they are and let go. And this is one of the most important things I think that I've learned over all these years is letting go of situations, of things, of people, of uh, ambitions, of wants, of needs, and just learning and trusting that the empty space will be filled again. Because in nature, nothing supports a vacuum. Vacuum will always be filled in some way. So having the trust, and I think what saved me was my faith, my belief. Now, I know a lot of people, they don't believe in God or they don't believe in higher powers of things, especially after things like that happen. To me, that was a different level of belief because to me, it was more spiritual, I think. And I just trusted that there was more to come and better things to come. And I just knew that. So I that's what you that. held on to then? I absolutely held on to that. And I always said, if you have two children, you better start swimming. Otherwise, <laughs> you're like Titanic and you're going to sink down to the ground. Now, with two children, you don't want to do that. Come extremely strong. And what I was doing is I was doing a lot of self-development work. I helped other people. I helped a lot of other people in their situation because that gets you out of your rut. That's right. So focused on your suffering and on what's going wrong in your life. There's often not a lot of energy left to do something else. That's but a very good point. Helping 
doesn't mean you have to give thousands of dollars to an organization. It doesn't mean you have to donate your time and energy half a day a week to an organization. Helping means that every single day, when you have the chance to make someone else's life better, just do it. Be it a smile, be it helping open the door, be it whatever it is. Any little kindness, it will come back to you. The energy will come back to you. And I think that's what kept me alive as well. It, it was just this ongoing flow of helping out, doing good, getting back. Explain exactly what you're doing now and how did you get there from that point to where you are now? When we were on the island of two years, we applied for visa renewal and then didn't get it. So we had to leave. And I then went on a world travel with my kids. We went by on a budget at the time and it was great. We just traveled from country to country. I had no other expenses. I had no overhead. We were literally living out of the suitcase with nothing else. It was an experience of freedom and of control and power, and it felt great. It felt just... Because if you have nothing more to lose, (laughs) that's the moment when you actually start living, you know? That's right. That's a very good point. When you have nothing more to lose, that's when you can start living. Yeah, because you you become free. You become free in your mind. You just become a go-getter because that's the only way. And we had fantastic experiences. We had awful experiences, too. And I just got to the point where I've seen life like the weather. It's just the experience of being alive. And I think that's when acceptance set in. And the moment I started accepting things, doors opened up for me. Like what kind of doors? So I came to Singapore with the children and applied for a job with the Ministry of Education. And I was shortlisted. And Singapore doesn't give twice a visa renewal, so we had to leave the country again. (laughs) (laughs) It was like nomads. We were just traveling all the time. And we came to Malaysia. I've never been in Malaysia before. I didn't know anybody here. We came to a completely foreign city, culture, environment, everything else. The children loved it. I liked it because it was really cheap at the time. (laughs) It was one of the cheapest towns on the planet to live in, actually. And we decided to stay here. And that was a long time ago. I applied for a a second home visa. And the children went to school here and they grew up here. So how did I come to do what I do? I've been doing coaching for 30 years. I remember my first coaching session when I was 15. uh, A friend of mine uh, had attempted suicide. And that was the first time in my life ever I was confronted with a situation like that. And I was just sitting there listening for four hours. And it kind of was transformational for both. Finally had someone who listened. And I had this experience of learning how to listen and of the power of listening. Yes. Of the healing power of someone truly listening. So many times that's all it needs. If you're in desperate situation... Just find one person, just find one person that really listens to you, even if it's on a help phone or somewhere. Well, that's just healing, isn't it? Person. It, it's extremely healing. Yes. Yes. I just learned powerful transformation, right? Um, coaching itself, I learned many years later when I was in university. I did voluntary work with an organization in the US, which is called National Coalition Building Institute, and they do training and leadership training 
for diversity and against exclusion. And what happened there, we were giving workshops with uh, universities, with police force, with judges, with refugees. That was another experience that really deeply marked itself into my memory. I was listening to a refugee, remember from the Yugoslavian war? Yes. And he was sitting there and we were hired to work with these people to give them a workshop about acceptance. <laughs> Again, same topic, right? Acceptance of the situation, how mm-hmm. to move forward. And I did the same thing like I've done 10 years earlier. I just sat there and really listened. And I was moved by what he had experienced and gone through. I couldn't even imagine at the time. I, I, I never had, thanks God, a war experience. Mm-hmm. He was in tears after that. He was really in tears, and I was so embarrassed. I thought I did something wrong, right? <laughs> and then I asked him, what's happening? And he said, you're the first person ever who listened to me since I arrived in this country. And I said, when did you come here? He said, six months ago. Hmm. And it was so shocking because he's a family father. He lost his wife, his children, everything. He was there by himself alone. And again, at the time, they didn't have the psychological concepts of giving support to people and and. I don't know. It it was just a whole different time. Nowadays, you have everything online. You have all the self-help tools and and resources that you can access on the computer, right? You can research and you can tap into different forums and networks and talk to people who have the same experience. That's when I really felt, I realized that was my calling and I wanted to do that in the future. So I always was collaborating with organizations with different forums in supporting people in whatever way I could, with whatever resources I had. Um, When I came to Malaysia, I started doing property and investment, and I've been doing that for many years. But I realized that I'm not happy with just numbers and figures and business by itself. I really wanted to work with people again. So I did my official certification with Bristol University Business School and did my advanced business executive coaching degree three years ago. To officially have a qualification to justify what I've been doing all along the way anyways. (laughs) What a great feeling. It felt good. Yes. So how does this affect what you put in your book because now you have written a book that I absolutely love the title an obstacle buster so tell us about that and how you are implementing what you have learned in your life to what you share in the book I wanted to write the book because so many people came up to me and said you have to write about all these things now I don't want the book to be about myself I want it to be all the things I've learned along the way, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I realized so many self-help books, they tell you what you have to do. But they never tell you how, you know, (laughs) in detail. They tell you you have to be happy, you have to be strong, you have to be courageous, you have to be this, you have to be that. But when the rubber hits the road, what in detail can you do to actually get to that state? You know, what techniques, what activities, what options do you have that are simply simple to implement, simple to do, you don't depend on anyone else to do it, and you can literally create yourself a toolbox 
that is supporting you on your journey in so many different topics in life. And I wanted to write a book about the main topics. So it's business, it's finance, it's personal and health. And I see it like a house pharmacy, a little help guide that people just can go through and see if maybe one or the other technique, one or the other insight, one or the other tip might help them. Well, what I've realized nowadays, we live in a whole different time than it used to be 10, 20 years ago. And a lot of people are in that exact same situation for different reasons. They're scared. They have fear. They don't know how to move forward. They're blocked. They experience so much uncertainty. And I've been through all that already. So a lot of things that I have experienced, I actually now can freely talk about. And I can add value in the sense of teaching the people or helping them with techniques in how to deal with growth, with change, with acceptance, with moving forward, with aligning yourself to what you actually want to do and not where you have been. And I realized this is a skill that is very valuable. I, I just experienced it in my life that so many came up to me with a request for advice or support, be it in business, be it in finance, be it personal, be it health, because I've been there. So I don't just have the academic background and all the titles and everything else on paper. I've actually lived through all these things myself. And it's coming from a deep, deep place inside me, in my, in my heart, that I can share and understand uh, what people go through. That's a very good point because a lot of self-help books, they're telling you what to do, but they may not have experienced it themselves. You have experienced a lot that could have made you very hard, and yet you are very warm, you're very compassionate, you're very sympathetic, you want to help, and that alone is a motivation that you can give people, I'm sure, through your book and also just your life in general. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate that. And the book, when you call it an obstacle buster, are you talking about different types of obstacles that may come along or just obstacles in general? No, I will talk about different types of obstacles that come along. Give us a couple of those. For example, in finance. One of the most important things is that you learn about your finances. You know your finances. You're aware of where your money comes from and where it's going to. Taking the bull by the horns in that sense, because so many people don't want to deal with it. It's too overwhelming. It's amazing. You know, when I was doing investment, I met people out of the blue that I have never met before. They said, oh, I have $35,000 saved. Could you invest that for me? And they were willing to give it to me. And I was just, I was absolutely shocked, you know. And I always refused. I said, you know what? I can teach you how to do investment, but I will not take your money. I will not do that. I couldn't. I wasn't a licensed uh, financial advisor. I was So I always say if I had been a crook, I could be... Uh, absolute <laughs> rich person nowadays, you know. So my goal has always been to help people, educate people, um, help them to connect the dots. So I think finance is absolutely crucial. And a lot of people avoid it because it's uncomfortable, because numbers mm -hmm. don't lie. Mm -hmm. 
They just don't. So it's, is there, do you deal with this, one of the obstacles in your book on how, this, how, how to control your own finances? Is that yes, what you, okay. this, is, this is one that will be in it. And the other thing as well regarding finances is no one will ever care about your money as you do. So don't just blindly trust insurance agents, advisors, investment agents, uh, anyone for that matter with, with, your, with your finances. Learn at least the basics to ask informed questions and how do you do that, right? Um, so give us another obstacle. Another obstacle is health, right? Um, I know a lot of people want to diet because they feel overweight, they are overweight, whatever is happening. Now, in my experience from systemic coaching, in my life experience and in my own personal experience, um, weight often has deeper reasons than just physical ones. So it's rarely just the fact that people eat too much, like many think, oh, they don't have self-control, they don't know how to take care of themselves. No, I don't believe that. I believe that issues go way deeper than this. It's going into self-belief, self-acceptance, the family history, um, the background as well. And in resources, uh, self-control and, and, and just not being in charge of your own life. So who do you think the book would appeal to? I think the book is for anyone who wants to be a mover and shaker, who wants to move beyond the circumstances they have and move forward in different areas of life. They want to be active, proactive, and take things into their own hands. They don't wait for someone to fix it. They get active themselves. And, and you can encourage that because of where you've been. Absolutely. So yes. when you are sharing this motivation, are you sharing your story and where you've been and how you had to do the same thing? I think it will be a part of it. Okay. I don't think I will make that the main topic. Okay. All right. No. Because the book is not really about me, my story. It's about giving people tools how okay. they can address different okay. situations that I think are important to create a balanced lifestyle. Now, your book is going to be available in 2017, but you can pre-order it now, which we will have all that information to, to do. I'll be happy to connect with anyone who wants to have more information or needs to ask a question or would like to do coaching on my website, um, stauthor, stwilkinson.com author stwilkinson.com. So in conclusion, to capsulize what you basically said regarding your book, what uh, course of action would you like the listeners to take regarding your book or your website? Uh, what would you like to have them uh, do to connect with you, to get your book, to share? I think it's very, very important in whatever situation you are to find people who support you, that Good. you can ask for help. I was very proud for a very long time and I thought I can figure it all out by myself and I can do everything by myself. I didn't want to rely on people because I was let down so many times and that's not a good thing to do. It doesn't mean because one person let you down and maybe the next as well, the mm -hmm. third one will too. And if you're in a situation that seems hopeless now, it can change. It will change. Things 
they don't usually stay the same. Change is a part of life. I was fortunate to have back surgeries two years ago. Finally, after so, so many years, medicine has advanced. So they wouldn't touch my spine a few years back because they were scared if they do surgery, yes. I would be paralyzed, right? Yes. Appreciate, like I mentioned earlier, ST, that no matter what you have gone through, that you have not been calloused, you have not become hardened, but you have a warmth and definitely a desire to help people. And so as they look up your website and buy your book and be encouraged by that and motivated, I'm sure that they will also be inspired. And I really appreciate what you have shared with us today, how you have uh, encouraged us not to give up no matter what happens. You can get out from under it. You can become successful. It's not the end of the road. And to maintain that attitude and you will go far just as you have. And it's not over yet. Yeah, it's not over until it's over. <laughs> That's right. And I so appreciate you sharing with us today. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, Carol. Thank you, ST.